From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. About 1% to 5% of breast cancers in the U.S. are inflammatory breast cancer. This is an aggressive form of breast cancer with signs that tend to arise quickly, often within weeks or months. There are some challenges of diagnosing IBC, such as the fact that it may be first mistaken for an infection or mastitis because of its symptoms. Routine mammography may also miss IBC because of its rapid onset. Our guest today is Sarah Deemer, who is here to share her story of living with inflammatory breast cancer and to help educate us on the signs and symptoms of this rare disease in hopes that it can help other women to recognize it more quickly. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. So good to meet you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us on the show today. So let's start with your story. Can you tell us about your initial diagnosis with breast cancer? What was happening in your life at that time? And what did treatment look like? Sure, sure. So this actually started back in October of 2019. Uh, it was a really happy time for us because I was pregnant with our second child at the time. And um, that had been something we'd kind of been hoping for for a while. So that was great. Um, during my pregnancy, like a lot of women, my breasts kind of began to change. So I didn't think a lot about it. But then my left breast began to change more, a lot more. It was, it was large, it was red, it was inflamed. And um, it still didn't trigger any like huge warning signs. I went to my OB and they thought I had mastitis. Um, maybe just kind of an early case. Um, did some antibiotics, didn't go away, went back to the OB, ended up getting put in the hospital for 10 days because then they started questioning why wasn't this clearing up. So many rounds of antibiotics, many, many specialists came in and it wasn't until uh, who would end up being my breast surgeon walked in and they spent about two seconds looking at me and they're like, I think you have inflammatory breast cancer. Um, <laughs> to which I didn't even know what inflammatory breast cancer was. Yeah. Um, I'd never heard of it at the time. And so with inflammatory, uh, like you said, being so aggressive, uh, we really needed to start chemo like now. Uh, we had everything in place as far as doctors for the baby, doctors for me. Um, and we started uh, some pretty aggressive chemo just like, a week or two after my diagnosis. Mm, wow. Um, but on the fourth round of, of that chemo, uh, in the same night, actually, that I had treatment, I ended up miscarrying our daughter. Um, and that was really hard. That has, that's probably been the most uh, difficult part of this entire cancer thing. Um, after that, it did allow us to do some more targeted treatment that you just could not do if you were pregnant. Um, which has actually been incredibly successful. So we switched to um, drugs that targeted exactly what my cancer was living off of. So for me, I'm triple positive. So estrogen, progesterone, and HER2, which that HER2 one, I had no idea how important that one was when I was diagnosed. But being able to do the Herceptin has made such a huge difference um, that my cancer is actually a stage of no evidence of disease right now, which is amazing for being stage four. That's, that's just about as good as it comes, but it's been quite the journey and, and quite the heartache along the way to get there. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. I, I'm, I can only, only imagine how tough that is. Um, so inflammatory breast cancer, it's, it's one of, I think, as you mentioned, one of the rare types of breast cancer. Can you tell our listeners about like just more about what it is and what it presents as? 
Sure. Um, if, if anyone's familiar with mastitis, that's almost what it looks like. Um, mm-hmm. I recently was uh, explaining to someone with an orange because you get this um, very distinct like orange peel. Now your breast doesn't turn orange, but the, but the skin of the orange and how it's like dimpled is what your breast begins to look like. Mine was incredibly red. It was warm to the touch. Um, it hurt like putting a bra on became like that. That just wasn't going to happen. Um, but again, all those things mimic mastitis. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't present as something being like a huge big deal. And um, um, may, maybe you're aware that, I mean, it's so commonly misdiagnosed. Like I have not talked to another inflammatory breast cancer person that walked in and got the correct diagnosis up front. And it's not because all our doctors are stupid. It's, it's because typically what something presents as is what it is. Right. And, and mastitis is so much more common. So it's one of those things that even if you think you know what's going on and you start to have those symptoms, my word, like go get it checked out at your doctor. And if you don't think that's the correct diagnosis, like then be your best advocate, right? And get mm-hmm. it looked at more. Um, if it's not clearing up with antibiotics, it should kind of start to be a pretty good red flag there that maybe something else is going on. Mm, absolutely. Yes, that's really important and, and great advice. So I, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You said that really from, from diagnosis to treatment beginning was just really, really quick. Mm-hmm. And in the process of your treatment, you, you know, you shared about losing a child. Can you, can you talk just a little bit about how you were able to process all of that? Cause that's a lot to go through at one time. I don't know that I did process all of that at that time. Mm-hmm. I had a fantastic doctor from uh, fetal medical at the hospital um, he, he was with me every step of the way. Um, anytime I had a concern while I was pregnant, I could call him and I could get in right away. Like he was fantastic. And he gave me a speech up front that two things really stuck with me. One, he's like, through this whole process, you need to be your own best advocate. You know, mm-hmm. your body better than the rest of us. And two, right now, without a healthy mom, we can't have a healthy baby. Cause of course the question came for me, can we just, can we hold off on chemo? Can we not right. do it until... Right until the baby was at a viable time to be born. And, and his answer was emphatically, no, not mm. with this cancer. And, but he really drilled into my head. We got to take care of mom and we got to take care of baby. Mm. And, and I think, I think we did that. I think the doctors did that. I think my care team was great. It just, unfortunately, it didn't work out. The day after I miscarried, my doctor came to see me and um, he looked at me and he's like, it's now time to switch gears. Mm. He goes, it's not about two people right now. And it's about one. And you need to do your best to do what your doctors say, to follow up with your treatment, to get yourself in a good headspace because you have a husband and two kids that you want to live for. And while that can almost, almost sound a little callous, it, that wasn't his heart at all. And I got it. And so I really switched gears to focus on what I needed to do. And it probably wasn't until after I was done with chemo that I began to really process the loss of our daughter. Um, and so that just needed to happen a little bit later. And I think, I think there's still times that that hits me because it wasn't your normal grieving time because it was time to, to focus on me. Um, and that felt a little selfish, but I think it was necessary. But then that gave space later on to, to grieve her loss and, and what she would have meant to our family or, and how we address that more with our girls too. Um, we can have those conversations now that we're not quite so focused on a crisis with me. 
Mm. Yeah. And that's important. It's important to have those conversations. And it sounds like you had uh, and have an amazing doctor. So um, I'm very glad to hear that. And, and so I think you mentioned this earlier too, because IBC is so aggressive, about 30% of women have metastases when they're diagnosed. What can you share with our audience about living with metastatic breast cancer, especially at such a young age? Well, <laughs> um, at first, I think it wasn't even a shock. Like it was like one hit after another. I was diagnosed. We, I was pregnant at the time. And, and then we found out shortly before I miscarried that I had stage four. And so like, I don't even know that I processed that at first. It was just like, okay, that's another thing. Got it. Um, at this point, I think, I think it's complicated. Mm -hmm. I think you'll have some people that do their best life. Um, and I'm so impressed with some other women and men that have stage four cancer that they're like, well, I'm training for my third triathlon. And I'm like, cool. I sat in my recliner all day. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's been, I don't look as sick anymore. Like I have some hair back, right. You know, yeah. so you I look don't super fear. healthy. Yeah. Thank you. Um, there's more of me now too. Um, so I don't appear as sick, but I have days that I, I don't feel good. I have days that uh, pain meds are going to be the only thing that kind of gets me through by the end. Um, because there's, for me, there's so many different complications from the treatments. I have a pretty intense neuropathy in my hands and feet, which, um, that's just been, how do you find that new normal to live with? So there's no short answer to that to me. It's complicated. It works different for everyone. But for me, it's trying to find when I do have a good day, doing something with that day. Mm. Um, I, before cancer, I had two jobs. I uh, was an adjunct at college and uh, I'm the youth group leader at my church. And I had to step away from teaching at college. Um, it was just too much. I have too many bad days, but I could maintain my job at church. And so um, having some semblance of a, of a normal life, I don't even know what a normal life is now with everything else going on in the world, but some semblance of a normal life, still getting that time to connect with my family. And when I do have energy or a good day, making the best of it. And when I have a bad day, understanding it's okay to have a bad day. And my husband's been very supportive with that. If, if it's one of those days I have to lay in bed all day, then I have to lay in bed all day. Um, but I guess just the good and the bad are going to come and making something of the good is kind of how we kind of look at it as a family. I love that. It's such a, a really good perspective. And I think something you said is, you know, when you have a good day, what are you going to do with it? Right. And that, I think that's, those are kind of words for us all to live by. So I appreciate that. So I, I know you're passionate about spreading the word that young women can get breast cancer too. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for our listeners about staying on top of their breast health and why is it so important? Ooh. Okay. So I like, I think a lot of people have kind of been taught about like self uh, exams, uh, making sure when you're of the age to go get a mammogram. Um, I am not of the age to get a mammogram, especially according <clears throat> to insurance, right? That it's too young. So, so what do you do as a younger woman? I think you need to um, educate yourself on the possibilities. Don't become a worry wart um, with anything that could happen and everything that could happen but at least being aware of what is out there um, sure gives you a better chance of catching something uh, early on, which is just imperative with cancer. And I think a lot of us, maybe, maybe y'all are smarter than me, but a lot of us, I think have this idea that cancer is like an, like an old people disease and it's not granted when I'm at the cancer center, there are a majority of people that are older than me. 
but there's plenty of young people that get cancer. And I think sometimes it's going to get further along in our bodies because we're just not aware that that's really a possibility. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, educate yourself, but educate yourself with good websites. That's something I really, really want to point out. Like don't go read all the, uh, all the blogs necessarily, or the chat rooms, because boy, wow, you can, you can end up in some rabbit trails, but be proactive with good medical advice. Mm. And by all means, if you have a question, ask your doctor, ask your care team. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So last question, and this has been so great, very inspiring, very helpful. Is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know that you've learned throughout your breast cancer journey? I would say it would be really helpful if people that know someone dealing with cancer can be gracious. And here's what I mean by that is uh, there have been just an outpouring of support and love for my family. And that has meant so much, but sometimes I don't know that I always respond correctly because I'm trying to figure it out myself. Um, when people have asked me to do things, sometimes like I almost get a sense of annoyance. I'm like, I have cancer. Hello. I can't do that. But if they don't ask me, I'm like, hello, I'm still alive. Um, so there's a lot of sorting out that has to go on in the person dealing with cancer and how they're going to do life because it is a little different um, and in some ways a lot different than what it was before. And so I don't expect other people to always say the right things to me. Um, I, there have been people that are like, I'm so glad you're better, Sarah. Like we prayed for you and, and you're great now. And I'm like, but I'm not. Um, I might look really good, but I'm not. So the same thing I think applies the other way. Um, and I think a lot of people are great with this one, but have some graciousness and patience towards the person trying to sort out what's going on in their own life, their own body um, while they're dealing with cancer. Mm. That's really, really, really good advice. And I, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Sarah, this has been inspiring, <laughs> very educational. And, and uh, I really appreciate you taking your time on the show today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.